He reached into a pocket of his overcoat and took out a small black notebook of the sort that used to advertise itself as waterproof. Opening it, he read the lines that he had written out himself, copied from a collection of Robert Garriach's poems. He read aloud, but in a low voice, although there was nobody present save for him and the dead. Canongate Kirkyard in the feeling year is old and grey. The wee rosiers are bare. Five gulls lean white again the dirty air. Why are they here? There's nothing for them here. Why are we here ourselves? Yes, he thought. Why am I here myself? Because I admire this man, this Robert Ferguson, who wrote such beautiful words in the few years given him, and because at least somebody should remember and come here on this day each year. And this, he told himself, was the last time that he would be able to do this. This was his final visit. If their predictions were correct, and unless something turned up, which he thought was unlikely, this was the last of his pilgrimages. He looked down at his notebook again. He continued to read out loud. The chiselled Scots words were taken up by the wind and carried away. Strang, present duel, rugs at my heart, lichre this guinea door, here Robert Burns knelt and kissed the moo. Strong, present sorrow, tugs at my heart, treat this lightly if you dare, here Robert Burns knelt and kissed the soil. He took a step back. There was nobody there to observe the tears which had come to his eyes, but he wiped them away in embarrassment. Strang, present duel. Yes. And then he nodded towards the stone and turned round. And that was when the woman came running up the path. He saw her almost trip as the heel of a shoe caught in a crack between two paving stones and he cried out. But she recovered herself and came on towards him, waving her hands. Ian! Ian! She was breathless and he knew immediately what news she had brought him, and he looked at her gravely. She said, Yes. And then she smiled and leant forward to embrace him. When? he asked, stuffing the notebook back into his pocket. Right away, she said. Now, right now, they'll take you down there straight away. They began to walk back along the path, away from the stone. He had been warned not to run, and could not, as he would rapidly become breathless. But he could walk quite fast on the flat, and they were soon back at the gate to the kirk, where the black taxi was waiting, ready to take them. Whatever happens, he said, as they climbed into the taxi, come back to this place for me. It's the one thing I do every year, on this day. You'll be back next year, she said, reaching out to take his hand. On the other side of Edinburgh, in another season, Cat, an attractive young woman in her mid-twenties, stood at Isabel Dalhousie's front door, her finger poised by the bell. She gazed at the stonework. She noticed that in parts the discoloration was becoming more pronounced. Above the triangular gable of her aunt's bedroom window, the stone was flaking slightly, 
and a patch had fallen off here and there like a ripened scab exposing fresh skin below. This slow decline had its own charms. A house, like anything else, shouldn't be denied the dignity of natural ageing, within reason, of course. For the most part, the house was in good order, a discreet and sympathetic house in spite of its size, and it was known, too, for its hospitality. Everyone who called there, irrespective of their mission, would be courteously received and offered, if the time was appropriate, a glass of dry white wine in spring and summer and red in autumn and winter. They would then be listened to, again with courtesy, for Isabel believed in giving moral attention to everyone. This made her profoundly egalitarian, though not in the non-discriminating sense of many contemporary egalitarians who sometimes ignore the real moral differences between people. Good and evil are not the same.